Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 16. Today's episode is all about listening to our bodies. You could spend your time medicating your acid reflux and medicating your insomnia and medicating your depression or your anxiety or trying to regulate your fertility and like all these different systems. But really, wouldn't it be much more efficient to just treat the root? Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. In the last three years, I've gone pretty ham when it comes to my health. I know that for me, the first step I need to take if I want to make a real change is to educate myself on it. Once I have that cognitive dissonance between what I'm currently doing and how I want to be, it becomes really hard for me to ignore. In all of my research, one thing became very apparent. Our mindset is about more than just mental health and happiness. It also plays an integral role in our physical health. I'm sure you've all heard it before, but there's a very real mind-body connection. Today we talk to Brody Welch. She pretty much checks all the boxes of being the most educated health expert I've ever talked to. She's a licensed acupuncturist, board-certified herbalist, and an expert in holistic health, self-care, and Chinese medicine. She has knowledge in improving digestion, sleep, and mood, and dialing in a regular mind-body practice. So basically bridging the gap between what you know you should be doing to take care of yourself and actually doing it. So today, three key things you will learn, among many other things, are how overworking contributes to disease, the secrets to a good night's sleep, and how to know when your body is trying to tell you something. So without further ado, let's welcome Brody Welch to the show. Melissa, it's so great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. To start off, how did you become interested in Chinese medicine? What originally piqued your interest? Well, I grew up wanting to save the world. And I was quickly going down a path of activism, realizing that that was going to totally burn me out and create a life that I was going to hate, because it just felt like I was going to be in conflict with something all the time. And that's not something I wanted. And so after graduating from college and and going in this direction of of thinking I was going to be like a lawyer or start a nonprofit or something like that, I just didn't know what I was going to do. And so I found myself in massage therapy school because people growing up always told me like, oh, you have this healing touch. So I felt like I would follow that and see where it led. And, And one of the classes I took in massage school was on shiatsu. And so this form of body work that's based in the philosophy of Chinese medicine. And I was exposed to the theory of yin and yang and how uh, the five elements of nature exist in our bodies as well. And how it's this true holism where mind, body, spirit are all connected. And that just deeply resonated with me in a way where really nothing else ever had. And I knew that that was my next step. So I immediately started my master's in oriental medicine and worked as a massage therapist in the three and a half years that it took me to get through school and then opened my practice back in 2003. Give us a brief overview about what Chinese medicine is and the philosophies behind it. Absolutely. So Chinese medicine is a complete system of healthcare that's been on the planet for thousands of years, originally from China, as you might have guessed. And really, it's this idea that health is about dynamic balance. And so basically, the, the goal of any Chinese medicine treatment strategy is to bring yin and yang into balance in the person's body. And the branches of Chinese medicine are, they include acupuncture, which is probably the sexiest branch that most people have heard of or or know somebody who's had some acupuncture. The other branches of Chinese medicine are Chinese herbs, 
uh, diet, dietary energetics. So you're not, you're more than just thinking about carbs and, and proteins and fats and vitamins and minerals, but thinking about the energetics of food and how it affects the energy. Also, exercise, which in Chinese medicine is not pumping iron and going and running marathons. It's more like cultivating the, your energy as in things like Qigong and Tai Chi and meditation and really any choice that you make can help bring you into balance or take you away from balance. And so a lot of my work that I do as a coach is really about helping people apply Chinese medicine philosophy to their lives, which you don't necessarily need a practitioner for. You just need to understand the principles that are at work out in nature and therefore in our bodies as well. Because in Chinese medicine, it's basically, if it's out there, it's in here. If it exists in nature, it exists in the ecosystem of our bodies. And so it's it's this it's really an exciting lens to look through in terms of thinking about yourself differently and what might be possible for your health. When it comes to healing approaches dating back centuries or even thousands of years ago, I've heard some people bring up the argument that, well, how could they understand more than we do now without the help of the technologies that we have today? My theory is, Without all these technologies, people were more in tune with their intuition, which may mean that they're better able to listen to their own bodies or pick up on the energies of other people. What are your thoughts on that? Well, first of all, we know that the oral tradition of Chinese medicine goes back thousands of years, even before the written record of Chinese medicine, which is over 2,000 years old, and, and that people learned it from masters. And so people would be spending hours and hours and days and days in meditation, studying their own internal subtle anatomy, just like the yogis were in India and coming up with, you know, the traditional medicine of India is Ayurveda and the sister science of yoga. So both of these systems are, are, are very similar in the sense that, that our, our health and our bodies are about a dynamic balance of energy. And so and, and we know that the, the meridians, the pathways that energy takes around the body were talked about before the individual points. And so that to me suggests that the sages were able to see and feel these energy pathways in their own bodies and probably in other people as well and therefore able to manipulate the flow of energy with things like uh, massage or um, using back then it was needles were kind of a big deal so needles were not necessarily the only way of accessing energy uh, but also the burning of mugwort and burning of this herb near an acupoint to to basically tap into the body's intelligence if we think about an acupoint is basically a mini chakra it's like it's got it's an energy center. It's a place where energy can be accessed. And actually, in, in recent years, that science has been able to measure the electromagnetic difference of an acupoint versus the skin right next door, where there isn't necessarily that same energy concentration, and they're, they're really different. So science definitely bears that out. But so I think a combination and also, just as you said, that on, on page one of the Yellow Emperor's Classic of Internal Medicine, which was written 2200 years ago, that it's essentially a conversation between the emperor and his chief physician. And the emperor is like, hey, what's up with the fact that in olden times, right, older than 2200 years ago, people used to live to 100 on a regular basis. And these days, everybody's falling apart by the age of 50 and dying off. Like, what's the deal? And the imperial physician says, well, because we've forgotten the way of nature that in modern times were, you know, and he proceeds to unpack all the things that, that people were doing wrong in that day and age. And so, yeah, the idea that that we were not machines, we're connected to the environment and that that basically honoring the, the natural rhythms is one of the keys to staying healthy. For listeners who don't know, can you explain a little bit about what the energy body is? Well, we can think of ourselves in one of two ways, right? We can think of ourselves in the world of Newtonian physics as a sack of meat or a machine where there's all these different parts at, and that and we, we move around and if something gets diseased, we sub it out or replace it. And we can think of ourselves as these solid, dense beings or we can shift into Einstein's physics and recognize that matter and energy are the same thing and they're translating or they're transferring into one another all the time, in which case we become these fields of energy. 
And it, it's it's just shifting our bias from thinking about the stuff of who we are, that we're these solid masses, which we know, of course, is not true. We're, we're mainly empty space with little bits of matter. And so if we just think of ourselves that way, then the, the physical confines of our body is not where we stop. We actually, our energetic field extends out six to 12 inches beyond our skin. And that's measurable. That's something that, that science is, is getting into figuring out just all the implications of that. So thinking of yourself as this living field of energy, for example, you can't see wind, but you can see the effect of wind through the trees. And that's a lot of times what I encourage people to think about chi as, right? This energy that we can't necessarily see it, but we can see what it does and we can see how it's manifesting in our bodies and in our thoughts and in our emotions. Because really, like, what's an emotion other than just an energy flow that's moving through us? And what's a thought other than a very subtle form of energy as opposed to, you know, a bone or a muscle or, you know, like just any of our bodily fluids, which are just really more dense forms of energy. But of course, we know that matter and energy are the same thing. It all comes from the same source. You can't have thoughts or moisture in your skin or a beating heart without uh, without breath, without nutrition, without rest, you know, kind of a, that all of it is it, really it's all energy. It's just hard to talk about when everything's everything. And so we then subdivide it into terms like yin and yang. You mentioned that energy follows our focus. As a yogi, I hear some version of that fairly often. But can you expand on that a little bit? So in Chinese medicine, there's this phrase, yi dao, qi dao, which, which is that the our intention leads the qi. And we can think about that just in terms of changing your perspective, right? We've all had this experience where it feels like there's not enough time to get everything done that we need to do, where we, uh, we feel stressed, we feel time compressed. And then we realize it's a first world problem, right? We realize it's not life or death. And so we shift our perspective and suddenly we unclench. Our bodies relax because we're telling ourselves, this isn't a life or death emergency. It's it's just a deadline. And so shifting out of that mindset, because stress, of course, dictates whether or not our bodies kick off this cascade of hormones that alter our physiology from rest and digest mode into fight or flight mode. And so just by seeing fewer emergencies in life, we don't have to bite the hook of stress nearly as much, which means that we're not doing that to our bodies all the time. So so really, we can think about that in a very concrete way, how we interpret the world determines how we end up feeling. So take someone who's really stressed out all the time. What does that mean about the way that they are interpreting the world? Well, our nervous systems were designed to get us out of imminent danger, right? Our, our fight, flight, freeze response is what enables us to fight off predators or to run away or to be on such high alert that we can pretend we're invisible so that they avoid us. And modern day emergencies are rarely life or death. They're, they're really threats to who we think we are and not to who we actually are. And yet we still go on this roller coaster ride of stress anyway. And so the, the, so if we're if we're perceiving our life as, oh my God, I have to do this, and or I I can't I can't say no to this person because what will they think or like whatever it is, it's whatever we're stressing about unless it actually is a life or death situation, is really threat to our social self or the the sort of the social mask that we wear to navigate the world and it's really a threat to our ego. It's a threat to who we think we are and not to who we actually are. And so as we identify more with the idea that you're this, you're this basically a, a drop in the ocean of consciousness, that you're this sea of energy, if you can pan back and have a larger perspective, you really see that stress is optional because you don't actually have to be the people pleaser or the overachiever or the, the one who's perfect or the one who makes it nice for everybody else. And it's like if that's what you're stressing about is your inability to to keep up your social mask, you can just let it go. You can totally let it dissolve and suddenly you're much more free and you're much more relaxed and you're much more yourself. I've not yet heard the term the social self, but I like that descriptor. You hear ego a lot, but I think that there's so many connotations that come with the word ego. And so this social self is 
the person that we portray on the outside when we are like, oh, well, I'm the one who gets stressed about this or I am the perfectionist and all of these personality traits. So what term do you use to refer to the other side of that? Well, I, I distinguish that like sort of who we really are inside, which I'll, I'll call the essential self. And the more energy that we have devoted towards something that's not us, the less that we, the less of that energy, focus, attention, the less we're directing our energy towards who we really could be. How do you go about diagnosing different ailments in Chinese medicine? I've heard that the belief is that everything on the physical plane is a manifestation of something else on the metaphysical plane. One example that comes to mind is that kidney dysfunction results in fear or phobias. So I think it's first helpful to understand this idea of roots and branches in Chinese medicine. So for example, if you know, like if we think about the fact that science tells us that stress is at the root of 80 plus, 90 plus percent of all conditions that people will seek medical help for, we can think of the stress as the root of hundreds of different branches, i.e. symptoms or disorders or imbalances. And you could spend your time medicating your acid reflux and medicating your insomnia and medicating your depression or your anxiety or going, you know, trying to regulate your fertility and like all these different systems. But really, wouldn't it be much more efficient and way better to just treat the root? to like look at at the same imbalance that's giving rise to all these different symptoms. So it's also helpful, I think, to think about the fact that health is not binary. We're not just in a state of health or disease. Instead of you can think about health and disease on a continuum where health is on one end of the spectrum and disease is on the other. But in between, there's this zone of imbalance. And so in Chinese medicine, the idea that we can treat imbalances before they become problems is really empowering, but also the idea that the same imbalance can give rise to different symptoms that exist in, in totally different systems of the body. So, for example, you just mentioned the kidney system and the essential self. The kidneys are connected on a physical level to our water metabolism, right? It's, it's paired as a yin-yang team is the kidney and bladder that are responsible for the, the water of, of the body. And so it's the water element. It has to do with filtering our blood and like, you're allowing us to urinate, to expel waste, it also, so there's this physical function that the kidney and bladder have. There's also the, the kidney and bladder channels or meridians that run through the body and the bladder channel runs down the back. So back pain, we, we could use the bladder channel to uh, affect back pain. Sometimes when our back pain is associated with fear or not enough time, not enough money, those kinds of things that we can think of that as like, like a kidney deficiency back pain kidney system can help us be less fearful, help our back pain, keep us from getting up in the middle of the night to go pee three times. You know, just uh, all of that is kidney energy. And so when kidney energy gets better, all the things related to the kidneys get better, including our sense of purpose, which is the psycho spiritual dimension of the kidneys. That idea of, um, well, each, each dimension of the consciousness or the soul uh, is is in a different organ system of the body. And so for the kidneys, it's connected to our purpose. It stores this essential substance called Jing, which is kind of like um, our our who we were born to be. And it's also it also has to do with our will, our our will with a capital W, as in like our power, our ability to exert our will in the world, our our transformative capacity. And so when we're afraid, obviously, that affects the kidney chi. And so our will, our ability to feel powerful and to and to really live our purpose goes down. And so really seeing how all those things are connected to the kidney system, you can see why fear is so undermining, for example, or you can see why all these different physical symptoms like back pain and urination uh, are actually related from a Chinese medicine perspective. Hold that thought. And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. 
Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word morning to 33777. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. The Mind Love podcast is supported by CastBox, the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on iOS and Android. CastBox has over 50 million free episodes that more than 13 million users download and listen to wherever, whenever. CastBox has also pioneered a brand new way to search. All you have to do is enter a keyword or phrase and CastBox will search all show titles and transcripts of every single episode to deliver exactly what you're looking for. So head over to your app store, download CastBox and try it for yourself today. What role does food or nutrition play in Chinese medicine? Oh, it's it's one of one of the branches is Chinese dietary therapy. And it's it's vast because it's one of the sources, it's one of the ways we get energy, right? Like we get energy from the air that we breathe, we get it from the food that we eat, but more importantly, the food that we can digest. Because we can't make use of what we what we can't digest. And so for a lot of people, when they're wondering like what they should be eating, quote unquote, or they're trying to lose weight eating salads all the time, it's like they're not necessarily paying attention to the energetics of food or the fact that there's not one right diet for everyone because everybody's got a different constitution and that our digestive systems need to be in really good working order in order for us to extract nutrition from the food that we're putting in to the system. But obviously, if you're eating junk food, your spleen and stomach has to sort all of that out. And anything artificial, it's just going to go, what do I do with this? I don't know. Maybe I'll just leave it around as as a, a little blob of we don't know what to do with this. And so that can be like extra weight or it could be things that are kind of cloudy and heavy like mucus or like cysts or, you know, just gets stored in the body as turbidity. It can be brain fog. It shows up in, in all sorts of different ways. And so eating natural food, eating whole foods, foods that our bodies can digest is is absolutely pivotal. And in addition, eating with the seasons is something that we take really seriously in Chinese medicine because it's a way that we stay aligned with nature. And nature gives us exactly what we need for balance at different seasons of the year. And yeah, I could go on and on about food. How like, for example, in in 2017, scientists were awarded the Nobel Prize for circadian medicine for understanding how our bodies sync up with the cycles of day and night. And in Chinese medicine, every organ is connected to has a peak time that it's that it goes into action and really has the energy and so for the digestive system we really need to be eating during daylight hours like really after 7 p.m and this is borne out by science the the pancreas is kind of on a slow drip and so the same food that you eat late at night is going to be much more likely to be stored as fat than that same exact food eaten when in for example at 11 a.m so there's all sorts of implications in terms of how we can be healthy at an optimum weight, blood sugar metabolism that Chinese medicine has to offer both in terms of looking at our constitutions, looking at food energetics and looking at timing. When you're talking about circadian rhythms, this has fascinated me for a while now because it's so easily observable in 
plants, for example, especially a plant like the sunflower that lifts its little head to the sun. But really, circadian rhythms influence all living things, and it can influence sleep-wake cycles, hormone release, eating habits and digestion, and even body temperature. Sleep, in particular, is another example of something that we need that's essential to our livelihood that I think in our society as a whole, we go about pretty dysfunctionally. What does Chinese medicine say about optimal sleep practices or the secrets to getting a good night's sleep? Well, this goes back to yin and yang and the importance of yin and yang being in balance. So it's basically yin and yang are these dynamic opposites and they can't exist without one another. So if we want good energy and productivity and focus, we know that we can't just keep making our days longer. Like we've all had that experience of staying up super late and you're, you're just like, you're, you're not present, you're not creative, you're not on, you're not in flow at all because you haven't, you haven't really gone all the way into the extreme of yin to give birth to healthy yang. And so, so in nature, the cycles of day and night is one example of the cycle of yin and yang. So yang would be the daytime and yin would be the nighttime. And we live in a society that prioritizes speed, efficiency, productivity, getting things done, making our days longer by making our nights shorter, overriding our body's signals for rest with caffeine or revving up sugar, that basically like yin is the enemy, right? Sleep is like a disease to be cured. Tiredness, we, we can't give into that. We have to override it instead. And really we're trying to get things done well past dusk, which is when our ancestors for millennia would have been starting to, to wind down. There wasn't artificial light that kept the day going. And so after dinner was, was yin time. It was time to be anything that you could do by candlelight, anything that was more uh, in, a, in a quieter space. Because as if, if we think about like high noon as the peak of yang and dusk is the transition between the yang part of the day and the yin time of day, and midnight is that sort of peak of yin at that that there is that we're not machines we don't just go binary from activity to rest with no sort of in between season right so and and that's a huge mistake that most of us make is assuming that we can be on the computer until 9:30 at night and then expect to be asleep in a half an hour at 10 p.m. So of course we know about the blue light disrupting our melatonin like from screens like most people are are hip to that news but even just thinking about ways that we could be subtly revving ourselves up in the evenings instead of winding down whether that's working out late at night whether that is watching you know action packed violent movies or you know like watching watching something that's just like so much stimulus coming at us at a time where we're supposed to be kind of withdrawing from the world and getting quieter and again, I, I, that sort of if we were to put yin and yang as body and mind, most of us spend way too much time in our heads and we don't really honor what our bodies are needing. So in the evenings, if you were to, first of all, eat dinner a little earlier during, during daylight hours, that gives your body the optimum three hours that it needs to digest before going to sleep. And in that time, you could potentially be doing something great for your body, like taking a bath or doing some self-massage, taking a walk, playing a game, connecting with your partner or your kids or your friends or whoever in, in a way that feels cohesive and connective and sweet and not necessarily um, not overstimulating. So I'd say like recognize that you're an animal, recognize that it's not natural for us to be going until all hours of the night and to in a really practical way consider just having an evening by candlelight just to see what that's like and patterning your your evening routine so that you can wind down and get really solid sleep and so that you can get to sleep by 10 p.m and that's another place where the the chinese medicine's idea of the different organs kicking into gear at different times our liver and gallbladder are supposed to clean our blood at night and if we're awake in the, between th those hours of uh, basically 11 to 3, uh, 11 p.m. to 3 a.m., for a work during that time, our liver and gallbladder can't really do their jobs of detoxifying. And I, maybe you've had this experience where 
you've been up all night, maybe you, you've been up all night working. So you haven't been at a bar drinking, you haven't been putting toxins into your body, but you feel like utter crap anyway. And that is a lot of times because you're, you're just simply, your body wasn't able to do the detox that it needs to do in the middle of the night. And we know, of course, that that's like new research about the brain, that sleep is when the brain detoxifies, it actually shrinks um, by a third of its size. And that's, that allows this, the glymphatic fluid to to move plaque out of our brains and so if we're not if we're not asleep we're not we're not enabling that process to happen efficiently i'm constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead start aligning it's true with purpose with relationships with higher versions of yourself and it's also true for hiring the best way to search is actually just to match with indeed Indeed is your one-stop hiring platform with millions of job seekers visiting every month, and their powerful matching engine helps you find quality candidates fast. Plus, Indeed lets you schedule interviews, screen applicants, and message candidates all in one place. But Indeed isn't just about speed. They also deliver quality. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. I love Indeed because it makes hiring so much easier. I'm all about alignment in all areas of my life, and that includes people I hire to work in my business. So I need a hiring partner that makes it simple to find candidates with the right skills. And that's Indeed. And what's really cool is Indeed's matching engine gets smarter the more you use it, learning from your preferences and over 140 million qualifications. Plus, I love that I can do all my hiring in one place. It's just one less thing to keep track of between all all of the other things. So join over 3.5 million businesses worldwide who rely on Indeed to find great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash MindLove. Just go to Indeed.com slash MindLove right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash MindLove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And now for another episode of Lies We've Been Told About Our Health. We've all heard we need eight glasses of water a day, right? Well, hydration isn't actually about water intake. It's about the balance of water and electrolytes so that our bodies are actually absorbing the water instead of just passing it through. A lot of people go for those sugary sports drinks, but let's be real, those do more harm than good. I've found a better solution. Element. It's a zero-sugar electrolyte drink that's all about effective hydration. Each pack gives you essential electrolytes like sodium and potassium without the unnecessary additives found in other drinks. The team behind Element includes experts in biochemistry and nutrition, so they really know what they're doing. And it's not just for everyday use either. Elite athletes and teams, Olympic weightlifters, CrossFit champions, Navy SEALs, all rely on it too, which to me says a lot about its effectiveness. Here's what makes them really unique. They recently launched a hot chocolate line with flavors like chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. Ever since I went alcohol-free, I've been really intentional about luxurious, health-focused drinks so I can sit back and unwind while actually doing good for my body. And the Element Chocolate Chai is great for relaxing in the evening or warming up after winter sports. And you can try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back, no questions asked. Receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com slash mindlove. That's drinklmnt.com slash mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order. How in the world have I never heard that the brain shrinks a third of its size while we're sleeping? That feels like some pretty critical information. It's relatively new. Yeah, like there, I mean, it used to be like just the glymphatic system that I'm describing, like that, which is connected to the lymphatic system of the body, which is part of our first line of defense against disease. It didn't used to be thought that the brain was connected to the lymphatic system. But yeah, lo and behold, Ayurveda and Chinese medicine have already known that. It's critical for memory and why it's so critical for hormone regulation. Like when we haven't had enough sleep, we are um, leptin and ghrelin, our hunger and satiety hormones are off so that we're tempted to eat more and be less satisfied by what we're eating. And so that's it's another example of like when we're when we're not getting our rest to rejuvenate our energy, we're going to be tempted to get it from food. And that's not necessarily um, the right strategy. So that is why I'm always hungry if I stay up late. And for whatever reason, I don't feel like I get full. 
Yeah, exactly. Because and if we think about that, the idea that there's uh, there is kind of a metabolic fire that kicks up in the middle of the night, but that fire is essentially is is there for the cleanup crew, not for more digestion. So basically, go to bed by ten. Another thing my husband and I talk about sometimes is that when we eat late at night, we notice there's a correlation between being more tired in the morning and having a more difficult time getting up. Is there anything to that? Absolutely. Yes. Uh, because it takes energy to, energy to digest. And so your body is it's trying to do two things at once. And really, those activities should be separate. Di- digestion is a metabolic active process. And so that shouldn't be happening when we're supposed to be in a state of deep restoration. And actually, like they were doing these experiments on on mice and on humans, where time restricted eating, where you can eat whatever you want, but having it during a, like an eight hour window or a ten hour window, that kind of thing. And so, if you really cut off eating at say six p.m. and you enable that at, at least a thirteen hour fast or thirteen to fifteen hour, that the same food is going to have a different effect, right? So the exact same food can either make you overweight or make you lose weight, depending on when you eat it. But that also um, people who were put on this kind of a, a, a regimen tend to like to stay on it because they do notice after about three months that their sleep will get deeper. The pancreas has a signaling mechanism that the melatonin receptors in the pancreas actually tell the brain it's nighttime. Okay. So recently I've been paying close attention to the morning routines and the daily practices of successful people. And I keep hearing about this intermittent fasting thing. It's just so hard to do. It's like 8 p.m. hits and all I want is vegan chocolate and wine, vegan chocolate and wine. <laughs> yeah, intermittent fasting is definitely a trend out there. And and certainly it makes sense from a Chinese medicine perspective, right? That you're, if we're eating every few hours, it's exhausting to the, the spleen chi and the stomach chi. Those systems were only, where we really, depending on your constitution, should only be eating two or three or at the most four times a day. And if you're eating more than that, first of all, you're just burning off the thing you just consumed. and You're never really going into fat burning mode. But you're also really like it's stressful for those organ systems because they're having to work all the time. What would you say is the most common bad habit that we as humans have when it comes to taking care of our bodies? Well, anytime you override your body's wisdom in the name of getting something done, it's an insult to your body, right? Most of, most of the time we're in this yang addiction state. And anytime, you're, anytime your shoulders say like, hey, we've been at the computer for four hours now. Could you get up and maybe do a little stretching? And your mind says, no, this project is more important. We're actually undermining our own self-worth and, our, and, and we're shutting down our inner wisdom in a sense. So I think that's a really bad idea. It seems like such common sense. So it's funny that it's such a big problem. I know I've been guilty of it, but if we don't take care of our bodies in these basic ways, then how can we expect our body to be able to properly fight off disease, think creatively, work effectively? Yeah, yeah. Doesn't it make sense? Like if your shoulders are tight and they're saying, stretch me, and you don't, what happens? Well, those the the connective tissue, the fascia, the muscles get tighter, they get dehydrated. Suddenly, it's not just tension anymore, but maybe your neck locks up or maybe you're in pain. And then you have to spend months trying to undo what you could have been doing preventatively all along if you'd just been in respectful dialogue with your body. Speaking of listening to our bodies, I know I learned in Ayurveda and I think in Chinese medicine too, that the tongue is known to be a strong diagnostic tool for looking at your health. What can our tongue teach us? It's actually, it comes from the Ayurvedic tradition, but both, it, but in Chinese medicine, we look at tongues all the time. We look at the color, the coating, the shape, and the moisture, and we use it diagnostically. There's also a map of all the internal organs represented on the tongue. Uh, and so it's a way that like every morning, if I look at my tongue, I can see the state of my digestive system. I can see what, you know, basically if there's a really thick coat, it's likely that you're either getting sick or that there's a bunch of crud that your body wasn't able to process. Us. And so just it, it's a it's a form of self-study, just kind of like looking in, into the mirror and, you know, looking and see if your if your hair is messed up or <laughs> anything like that. You're just looking and you're just checking it out. Like, what do I need to do for myself today that will allow me to steer towards health? 
So say I start a practice looking at my tongue every morning. What am I looking for? Does a certain color signify disease? No, it's it's much more subtle than that. And tongue diagnosis. It, so if you if you go to see an acupuncturist, there's lots of ways that we can make a diagnosis. The first is the 10,000 questions where we ask about every system of the body and figuring out how basically how every system might be every system supports another system and keeps another system in check. And so figuring out what's going on in this particular ecosystem, i.e. person before me, is is the first step. But also we look at the tongue and if the tongue and, and we take the pulse, we listen to to three different positions at three different depths on each side of the body. And that gives us a sense of the relative strength and weakness of different organ systems, as well as the overall quality of the person's being. So with the tongue, basically, if we if we use the ecosystem analogy, that lots of things can go wrong in an ecosystem. There can be not enough of something. There can be too much of something. There can be energy not flowing very well, aka stagnation. And so if we look at the tongue and it's bright red, that indicates that there's a lot of heat internally in this person's body. And heat can show up differently in different organ systems. So like heat in the heart could be anxiety. Heat in the stomach could be sour stomach or acid reflux. Heat in the liver could be anger and resentment, or it could be gallstones. Um, you know, like there's there's all sorts of different ways that heat could present itself. So if somebody's coming in and, and they're talking about having digestive issues and they're talking about irritability, we're going to get really curious as to whether that's coming from an excess or a deficiency, whether there's stagnation, whether there's heat, whether there's cold, whether, you know, just like what's going on with this person. And so it, it's not something that really lay people can can make much sense of because it's this whole system of, of study that um, that is usually a 3000 hour master's degree in this in this country. So uh, but there's plenty that lay people can learn just like looking at the, the coat and the shape. Also, if your tongue is has like little ridges on the uh, or like teeth marks around the edges or is quivering usually of the digestive system uh, being challenged by something the same with divots in the in the top of the tongue if there's a divot right in the center it can mean that that there's a deficiency of your digestive system that's a lot of info you can learn from the tongue i had heard somewhere one time to watch out for a pale tongue but i can't even remember why but it really goes to show you how amazing our bodies are yeah. Yeah. The pale tongue is usually blood deficiency, which is super common for women, especially women um, who uh, menstruate because it's like it's a place where we lose blood. And so, but yeah, like that's the idea is like, is, is it pale? Is it purple? Is it red? Is it a normal color? What's the coating like? What's the moisture like? Because again, as within, so without. And really there's this microcosm, macrocosm thing in the body where you can use any part to treat any other part, the ear, the scalp, the eye, like every part of the body represents everything. And so just knowing how to read any of these parts can help us understand ourselves better. I've never thought to connect my tongue to my menstruation. <laughs> and I'm Right? And now you will. <laughs> Similarly mind blown and grossed out. <laughs> Moving on. Well, what would you say are some of the mindset shifts we need to make as a society regarding our health and our health care? Well, first of all, we need to start thinking proactively, right? In our society, it's absurd. I can't even tell you how many patients will come to me and they'll say, all right, so I went to my doctor and apparently my blood sugar's creeping up and I've gotten higher triglycerides. It's still within normal limits, but it's higher than it was last year. And, um, you know, so, so there's, there's, all, there's this trend upwards. There's this trend towards prediabetes, trend towards metabolic syndrome, which are, of course, the, the major diseases of, of our culture, diabetes, heart disease, cancer, um, the, the major killers, um, Alzheimer's, which is type 3 diabetes. It, it's like it all connects to, to th things that we could be doing now. And so, and, and how many times patients are like, uh, I'll say, so what does your doctor say about that? And they'll say, oh, well, they'll just say that as soon as I cross this line, then I'm going to be on medication for the rest of my life. And that seems insane to me. Uh, and of course, not all doctors practice this way, but certainly as, you know, that, that your, your doctor is not going to get reimbursed for you know, like having a talk with you about lifestyle and diet. They're going to get reimbursed by ordering procedures, diagnostics, and, and medications. Usually, you know, like they want to give you answers. And so treating retroactively is like 
baked into the system, regardless of the good intentions of the many physicians out there. Their hands are kind of tied by this bigger system, which is such a problem. So really starting to, to recognize that the choices that we make in our daily lives, everything that we do and think and put into our bodies, the way that we breathe, the way that we move, all of this stuff is going to have such leverage over how we end up feeling. And most things that people deal with are preventable. And so it's just thinking, yes, like genetics load the gun, but lifestyle pulls the trigger is that, is that kind of classic, um, axiom from functional medicine and Chinese medicine would absolutely agree with that, that, that there's there, we have so much more power than we think we do. So getting really curious about how we can break up with stress in our twenties instead of (laughs) in our sixties, for example, recognizing the power that our minds have over how we end up feeling and recognizing just really that the mind, body, spirit all need to be tended to, or else you're headed for trouble. Health is hugely important to me. And in the last few years, I've, I've educated myself more than I ever have. And the deeper I dig, the more I learn how the mind plays such an integral part in our health. What role do our thought processes and even visualization play in Chinese medicine? I mean, that, that goes back to that attention leads the chi. For example, in Qigong, this is really easy to to understand, or yoga, which probably people are a little more familiar with, the instruction might be something like, okay, breathe into your little toe or like, you know, breathe into the hamstrings that are tight. And, And what that's doing is it's connecting your mind to the area of your body that you're trying to open or try to focus on. And if we think about that from a Chinese medicine perspective, if you're just going through the motions of a stretch, Okay, yeah, like that's that's doing some good, but it's so much, and we actually know this uh, that it from that making that brain to muscle connection changes our sense of proprioception. It changes how much energy is able to flow through th- that part of our body. So the idea that like visualization, bringing our minds into the picture, even d- doing any activity is going to help it be more potent. There's going to be more energy there. It's going to be more deliberate, and so. Visualization, um, so the visual faculty, we connect with the liver. So the liver is about, uh, is connected with the eyes, like each or- internal organ has a or uh, sensory organ connected with it. The liver is connected with the eyes. It's also connected with vision in terms of our the vision that we have for our lives, our ability to imagine what we want to do today or what the, the ne- what we want from the next phase of life. And that so, so that visualization we, we connect it's a function of the liver and as we as we do visualize um what we want out of life and how we want our day to go it becomes likely that, that kind of a thing is going to come about if there was one thing that listeners could do that would have the biggest impact on their health and their lives in general what would you say that would be break up with your yang addiction um, so what I mean by that is stop identifying your, t- stop linking your self-worth to how much you get done in a day and recognize that you are worthy without doing a thing, right? So that's, that's just honoring your yin. That's such an important mindset shift because if you do that, like nothing else, if we know that the most powerful things we do for our health are the things we do every day, right? All those, those things that I was mentioning earlier, the habits of resilience, like mindfulness, meditation, self-massage, exercise, hydration and elimination, aligning with natural cycles, getting enough sleep, all these things. Like you're not going to do any of it if you don't feel like it's important. And so if you're listening to this and you're thinking, yeah, I know I should be doing all these things, but I'm not doing all these things, that I'd like you to remember that you're worth taking care of and that if you're not doing any of these things in service of like getting something done or in service of your to-do list, just recognize that you're yang addicted. You've bitten the hook and that really you need to honor your yin in order to really fundamentally shift how you start living your life. And this is super hard to do. And so it's like surround yourself with countercultural transformation habit changers who are like really ready to do things differently. People who will help you raise your bar and get on the path with somebody who can be smart and strategic about helping you meet your goals. I feel like we're just scratching the surface on all this, but thankfully you have your own podcast, A Healthy Curiosity. Can you tell us a little bit about it? A Healthy Curiosity is, it's about being well in a busy world. So everything from 
bringing health experts in to demystify their particular area of expertise to people who've had powerful transformations and the sort of things that they've learned along the way. But really, the underlying things are tend to be about personal evolution and where that intersects with our health. And so because I'm super interested in us not just being stuck in who we think we need to be, that social self idea, but really embracing all of, of our human potential. And so it's hard to embrace our human potential if we are, first of all, if we're in pain or if we're struggling with health issues. And so that's a big part of it. But self-actualization is, I'd say, an equally important part of the show. Besides your podcast, where else can listeners find you? BrodyWelch.com, that's Brody with an I-E and Welch with a C-H is the best place to find me. And there's all kinds of stuff there. It's like from learn learn at home Qigong classes to basics of Chinese medicine, which is a course that if, if any of this has piqued your interest or I try to demystify the entire world of Chinese medicine um, in a class um, and where I base my coaching programs, uh, Level Up Your Life, which I work with people from all over the world on, on actually bridging the gap between what we know we should do and what we're actually doing to take care of ourselves. Well, thank you so much for spending this time with us. Like I said before, I do consider myself pretty educated in the health department, but this is one of those things where I didn't know how much I didn't know. So thank you. Oh, well, that just made my day because that's like the whole reason I do what I do is to open this door to people that there's like you don't know what you don't know. And so if you're ready for self-care 2.0 and you're ready for thinking of yourself in a totally different way, then Chinese medicine is totally the next thing to explore. Well, I don't know about all of you, but I'm going to be going to bed early tonight. To find out more about Brody, don't forget to visit her website at BrodyWelch.com. I will link to all of the links that she mentioned in the show notes at MindLove.com slash 016. I'm also super excited to tell you all about the Morning Mind Love. The Morning Mind Love are short daily reminders of your own worth and power so you can start each day with a positive mindset and keep your vibes up between episodes. I'm going to give you three reasons to join the email list for the Morning Mind Love today by going to mindlove.com and signing up right on the homepage. There are some amazing things that are only available to our email subscribers, so be sure to go there, subscribe, and sign up. There's just some incredible free stuff, including our own exclusive power lists method, which is an awesome free booklet based on proven principles from the most successful people and from some of our favorite guests. You can get it completely free along with another surprise bonus gift by signing up and joining our email list today. Listeners have been absolutely loving the morning mind love, by the way. And lastly, you are going to get an exclusive chance to shape the show. You can vote on guests, you can help us change parts of the show, and even submit your own personal questions to our guests. Again, there's some incredible free stuff, but you have to sign up and join the email list to get access to these things. And if you're out and about, just text the word MORNING to 33777. As always, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Every subscribe helps. And if you have an extra moment, try to leave a review on iTunes. It really helps the growth of the show and helps us entice more amazing guests like Brody Welch. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week.